The Take What Serves, Leave the Rest podcast is sponsored by Prairie Care. You know, going through the process of getting help with your mental health can be very overwhelming. I definitely know that from firsthand experience. Prairie Care can help guide you through it and get you in touch with the help that you need. They've been offering mental health services to all ages in the Twin Cities of Minnesota since 2005. Whether you're looking for clinical services, a specialty outpatient program, or a more intensive level of care like inpatient treatment, Prairie Care has you and your family covered. Visit prairie-care.com to learn more. That's prairie-care.com. Well, hi there, my friends, and a big welcome here into this episode of the Take What Serves, Leave the Rest podcast. My name is Brian Pyatt, and if this is your first time joining us, I want to welcome you in. It is, it is so wonderful to have you here with us today. Um, and before we start this episode and officially um, jump into it, I want to give a, a very special shout out to Inforum in the Fargo-Moorhead area. Um, I just announced last week that Inforum is now hosting this podcast on on their platform, on their on their website, and that is in addition to. Um, all the other places that you can already find this podcast. This partnership really, really means a lot to me, um, specifically because this means that these conversations that we're having are going to reach the area where I grew up. And, And I know very deeply that I would have benefited a lot from conversations about mental health when I was younger and when I was in middle school. And so um, this really, really means a lot to um, just give give an added platform to all the amazing, wonderful humans that we have on this podcast to share their story and reach more people. And so um, just a big, big thank you to Inforum and the team there that's helped make this possible. So I'm very, very grateful for that. And with that... Um, we're talking about panic attacks today on on this particular episode and how to maneuver the experience of of a panic attack. Um, some of you listening to this likely have experienced a panic attack yourself, um, and maybe you haven't. But um, my my hope is that for any of you out there who have, whether currently or in the past that um, this gives you some tools to work with and and hopefully just helps you feel a little bit less alone in in the intensity that 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 experience can bring up. So um, here on the episode, we are joined by Dr. Chad Puffer. Dr. Puffer is a child and adolescent psychiatrist. He is the medical director for child and adolescent services in southern Minnesota at Prairie Care. And a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to drive down to the Rochester area and sit down with him and talk to him. And what's really, really powerful about this chat is that Dr. Puffer opens up and shares his own personal 
experience with panic attacks. Um, he shares that he first started experiencing them in medical school. And so he talks about what that was like, what has helped him personally. Um, also goes into what's happening in our body when we experience a panic attack. We talk about the difference between panic attacks and panic disorder. Um, and then he has some really, really meaningful things to say about helping men in particular become more open and vulnerable about these conversations regarding mental health. So um, as always, I hope that you take something from this conversation that serves you moving forward. And let's go ahead and begin my chat with Dr. Chad Puffer. Dr. Puffer, thank you so much for, for taking some time out of your busy day to, to chat. Sure. No awesome. problem. Awesome to have you on the podcast. Good to have you here. Yeah. And we're going to um, kind of dive into to all things related to, to panic attacks. Oh, joy. Um, what, a, what a nice lighthearted topic <laughs> yes. for, us, for us today. Uh -huh. um, and, and you were just telling me that, that this is a, a topic that, as you kind of described it, near and dear to your heart. Yeah, it is. It's... Um something that I've gotten to experience from the patient side of things and, and the doctor yeah. side of things. Yeah. It's been, um, a battle that I've gone through. I'm, um, not dealing with panic attacks nearly as much as I once was, but mm -hmm. I first started experiencing them in medical school and, mm. uh, kind of as we'll, I'm sure talk about is commonplace. It kind of came out of nowhere and, really caused some big changes in my life, um, affected me in some pretty significant ways. And I was fortunate enough to get the help I needed relatively quickly and be able to work through some of those things. And so it's allowed me to have a little different perspective on it than mm -hmm. I do for some of the other illnesses I treat, having experienced some of that myself. But yeah, yeah it's not uncommon. Yeah. yeah. And probably makes you kind of adds another layer to your ability to show up as a clinician. I think so. Right. Actually having gone through it yourself. Yeah. I, I don't think it would be required to have experienced yeah. it yourself, but certainly there's a different level of connection to that person having experienced the difficulties that they're going through and being yeah. able to speak from personal experience when appropriate, you know, yeah. there's still, it's important to stay the doctor and not, you know, have, two patients in the room because that's not quite as helpful, but to be able to connect on that more personal level is a good thing. And, and we're going to get into kind of talking more in general about panic attacks, but what, what do you remember? You said it came on pretty sudden for you. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you did. remember about kind of that first time? I remember being in lectures in medical school. I had this uh, kind of group of friends that I sat with. Uh, it was a large lecture hall. And I remember in the middle of one lecture, kind of out of the blue one day, just feeling like my world was closing in. Mm. I, I don't know how else to really say it. My my vision was closing in. I was starting to hyperventilate. I mm. felt like something was very seriously wrong. I didn't know what was going on. I remember thinking all I could do was just kind of put my head in my hands and try to stare at my desk to keep mm. my world from spinning. But it, it took over everything. Mm -hmm. There was nothing else going on in my world in that moment other than that feeling that something very bad was happening and I didn't know what it was and I needed to get out of there. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so 
it happened a couple more times. I remember distinctly another time in the middle of a lab that we were doing that I had to leave. Um, and it resulted in me making a bunch of changes to my kind of standard study schedule. Even in the lecture hall, I stopped sitting with my friends and I started sitting towards the back of the hall mm-hmm. so that I would have a quick mm-hmm. escape. Um, I remember not being able to go to movies anymore, which I've always loved because I had this fear that I would have a panic attack in the middle of a movie and then have to disrupt a bunch of people as I was crawling over them trying to get out of the movie theater. And it really had a profound impact on on my life at the time, Mm -hmm. just kind of feeling like almost that my brain was betraying me in a way. Mm. I wasn't able to do the things that I knew I could do. I wasn't able to do them as well as I knew I I could uh, because it had some strange thing had started happening. Yeah. And you kind of described it as like feeling like your world was closing in on you. That's how it felt to me. And I'm sure a lot of people who have experienced a panic attack can, can relate to that in their own way. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what do we know about like what is happening right in our bodies generally when we're having a panic attack? Yeah. So there's a few symptoms that are pretty common that people experience. One is kind of this impending sense of doom. Something's very wrong. If something doesn't change, I could die. It gets mm-hmm. very intense and significant like that. Because of that, a lot of people present to the emergency room as a result of panic attacks, wondering if they might be having a heart attack or something mm-hmm. similar. Um, we know that the heart speeds up. Uh, we know that the um, person's breathing speeds up. Um, oftentimes related to those symptoms, vision can vision disturbances can happen. A lot of people describe that kind of vision closing in almost as if they're going to faint. Mm-hmm. Um, people get tremulous or shaky when that happens. Um, and a lot of those are mediated by the body getting ready to fight or flee. It's the old mm-hmm. fight or flight response that's supposed to happen in response to danger. So yeah. When we are in the world, if something dangerous happens and our lives are at risk, we want to be able to either fight that thing off or get the heck out of there. So in order to do that, your body speeds up your heart to send more blood to your muscles. Um, You breathe faster to get enough oxygen circulating. Mm -hmm. Um, And you get very focused in on what you're doing right in that moment and all the other things in the world kind of go away. Mm -hmm. So that's helpful when you need to escape or defend yourself against something. Not so helpful when you're in the middle of a lecture. lecture. (laughs) Not ideal. Not ideal. So it's it's thought that many of these signals are coming from the amygdala, which is kind of the fear portion of the brain, Mm -hmm. and that it's an over-response to some type of stimulus that uh, clearly is not as dangerous as your amygdala is telling you it is. Um, Why exactly that happens, um, don't really know. Uh, we know that there is a genetic component to it. It does tend to run in families, though that doesn't explain it entirely. Mm-hmm. There seems to be um, circumstantial and life experience components that play in as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, people with a little bit more what we call an anxious temperament um, are more likely to develop a panic attack. If you have first-degree relatives that have had a panic attack, you have a higher risk of having one yourself. Mm-hmm. But all that being said, it's very common. I I was kind of looking up some numbers in preparation for this, and it's something like a third of people, of all people, experience at least a panic attack at some point in their life. Mm. And it's important that we separate panic attacks from panic disorder, disorder, which we can get into. But when we talk about panic disorder, it's something like one in 40 men 
um, and one in 20 women develop mm-hmm. panic disorder at some point in their life. It's not uncommon. Mm-hmm. It's pretty common, in fact. So a good thing that we're talking about. Yeah. Today. yeah. And and how do we know when it's gone from something like uh, kind of a one-off mm-hmm. panic attack to mm-hmm. an actual panic disorder? Yeah. So panic attacks in and of themselves are not an official diagnosis right. in my line of work. They can be kind of added on to other things. So we may see someone with major depressive disorder with panic attacks or generalized anxiety with panic attacks. Mm-hmm. They can kind of run along with some of these other mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, they tend to be, when they're occurring just as a panic attack, they are more commonly triggered by a stressful event or a difficult situation, an intense mood episode. There seems to be a likely cause or trigger for them, and they're a little bit less frequent. Mm -hmm. When people start to experience um, panic attacks with frequency, and in particular out of the blue, um, then we're more starting to talk about a panic disorder. The, The primary criteria are that they come out of nowhere with no clear trigger, and that they cause some kind of change in functioning or a change in um, activities Mm -hmm. in order to avoid further attacks. So for some people, there's a lot of anticipatory anxiety. When is the next attack going to come? I can't predict them. It could be anywhere. And then in my case, this desire to be able to escape um, is something called agoraphobia, that can go along with panic disorder. So if I was seeing myself, I would diagnose myself with panic disorder with agoraphobia, that it wasn't just not wanting the panic attack to happen. It was preparing to escape and being uncomfortable in situations where escape would be difficult. Yeah. So that oftentimes can go along with the panic disorder. Yeah. Yeah. And and just, and I leads to things like not sitting with your friends in class and making sure you're close to the door. And Mm -hmm. I, I know I've talked to people friends who really want to go to that concert but right the thought of being in a crowd and what if i'm trapped and mm-hmm. even i mean it can i feel like it can get as specific as sitting at an aisle seat feels more safe than absolutely smack dab in the middle yeah vikings game or something like that you're like, absolutely it kind of becomes right. this like hyper awareness situation of your surroundings and some of those things are um more disruptive than others, of yeah. course. You know, some people, I think, find a way to kind of live with the symptoms, keep the symptoms relatively mild by making small changes. And other things really cause a lot of difficulties, mm-hmm. right? So um, it can be really impairing. Um, yeah. Thankfully, there's treatment for it. Um, yeah. I know, I don't remember my last panic attack. I'm going to knock on wood here, (laughs) but I'm thankful to say, and part of that was because I um, reached out to a doctor and saw a therapist and um, went through those things pretty quickly. And it wasn't a, it wasn't a quick process. I got to those treatments quickly, but it took some time and some work and got better. Um, So most people who experience panic attacks or panic disorder do get better with appropriate treatment. Mm-hmm. It's typically not considered something that you cure and never have to think about again. It does have sometimes what's called a relapsing and remitting course where it could come back later in life. Mm-hmm. But in general, when people recognize what's happening because they've been through it before and they have the tools to manage, mm-hmm. um, it's a little less scary and it's better tackled 
as they kind of get further and further, it doesn't get as severe. So when those things start happening, Mm -hmm. um, and you obviously want to be very clear that, you know, this, this podcast is not therapy. We're not trying to offer therapy, but Mm -hmm. you know, so important if this is something that you're going through to, to be working with a therapist, um, in your own life, but what, what is, what, what is kind of the key to learning how to maneuver these sure. and, and, and kind of lean more in this direction of it, not totally overtaking your life? Sure. Yeah. Um, the first thing is to seek help. Yeah. If you're experiencing anything like that, to talk to your doctor, we do want to rule out a heart attack, for example, sometimes there are some overlapping symptoms and there's a few tests your doctor can run to Mm -hmm. reassure you that that's not what's going on. It's important to note that panic attacks are not dangerous. They are incredibly uncomfortable and disrupt lives, but they aren't dangerous in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. And that education starts to help. It starts to allow the person to know kind of what's going on inside of them. When we think about treatment for panic, Um, in panic attacks that are oftentimes attached to an underlying syndrome. The the general gist is to treat the underlying syndrome and the panic attacks should get better Mm. alongside that. In panic disorder, um, there are a couple different types of treatments that are found to be helpful and beat placebo. So uh, medications can be very helpful, specifically antidepressants. And then within that category, SSRI antidepressants. These are the ones that people have heard of, Prozac, Lexapro, Celexa, mm-hmm. Zoloft, all have good evidence for treatment of panic. Um, and then therapy, and specifically cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT, has been proven to beat placebo when treating panic. What I did and what I recommend for patients and what the literature supports is that combination of both meds and therapy is the treatment most likely to provide benefit. Mm. Some people really don't want to take medications and would prefer to just do the therapy, and that's fine. That Mm -hmm. is likely to help. Some people don't want to put the time into therapy or for some other reason don't want to do that and would rather just take the medicine. That's fine and also likely will help. But Mm -hmm. your best chance of success is with both uh, combined. And the therapy, uh, the medicine is pretty straightforward and, you know, we could get into the pharmacology, but maybe that's not the scope of this, um, (laughs) this podcast. But the therapy is based on, first of all, identifying what is going on, making the mysterious less mysterious, being able to recognize the symptoms that are leading to that time of distress, Mm. and then starting to understand the connection between your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions, because they are connected. And this is kind of one of the central concepts of CBT is that you can find ways to manipulate your emotions by changing your thought patterns, mm-hmm. by changing your actions. So when we think, for example, about panic disorder and you start to notice that panic attacks are coming up, cognitive, be able to, cognitive behavioral therapy would help you to identify, hey, this is going on. This is a panic attack. I know this is not deadly, but it's really uncomfortable. I also know this is time limited. These typically only last minutes to at most an hour. So it's mm-hmm. going to get better. I just got to get through this. Mm -hmm. Even those reassuring steps are likely to decrease the intensity, the severity of the panic attack itself. Mm -hmm. On top of that, I know there are things that I can do to affect my emotional state. One is taking slow, deep breaths. This is going to 
reduce my kind of hyperventilation. Mm-hmm. It's going to calm my body down and it's going to help. Yeah. Um, calm down that kind of fight or flight response mm-hmm. that my body is having. Yeah. I can also start addressing what we call cognitive distortions, which are automatic ideas that come to mind that aren't based in reality, but seem so very true. So mm-hmm. assessing the evidence for I'm going to die. Well, yeah. I'm not sure I am. I had that EKG at the doctor's office. Everything looked great. I have been diagnosed with panic disorder. This is likely just a panic attack, or mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to escape this situation. Well, that's not true. I could ask some people to to move, or I could walk in this direction. Kind of having that conversation with yourself mm-hmm. in your own brain to help bring things back into the reality yeah. of the situation. The other thing that happens over time is that as you become more and more successful at getting through panic attacks, at keeping your cool amidst a panic attack, they tend to decrease in in length, in severity, mm-hmm. um, versus if you are responding only to the desire to run, to avoid yeah. the panic attack, then things tend to get worse over time. So yeah. being able to confront it head on and show yourself that it's not an unbeatable, you know, thing is helpful in the long run. So the avoidance can kind of fuel it. Totally. The more that we avoid it. Which is much the same in many, many illnesses in the anxiety spectrum of illnesses. Yeah. Yeah. Avoidance is generally not the best approach. Confronting the stressor and checking in with yourself to see if maybe the fear is being exaggerated a bit and being able to work your way through that is really helpful. Yeah. And I, and I like that you, a few concepts in there that, that definitely resonate for me. I know, um, since you've kind of opened up and shared a Mm -hmm. little bit of your story, I know I've talked about it on the podcast here in the past, just kind of my own experience with panic attacks. I've experienced them in my life before Mm -hmm. I was going through it, trying to work on live television, (laughs) my most recent job, which was not, not a fun experience. Not at all. Um, but I, I remember my therapist when I was talking to him through that time, it was, he, he was encouraging me really to kind of almost egg them on in a uh-huh. way, like mm-hmm. this kind of mentality of, you know, like bring it on, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like, right. what, what, what can you throw at me? Mm-hmm. And, and, and it, it's very easy to say that it's a whole other thing to actually oh, do yes. it when you're in the moment. So mm-hmm. I want to like acknowledge that mm-hmm. and not oversimplify that for, mm-hmm. an, you know, for anybody, but I, I do think that, that that mentality has been helpful and mm-hmm. to kind of almost prove to myself that I'm capable of experiencing those like sensations that wash over my body when I'm in that space mm-hmm. and learning how to not be scared of those things as much, but kind of invite them in. Mm-hmm. For me personally, I know has been has been helpful. It changes your whole relationship yeah. with the panic attack, right? Yeah. And it's not that you really want to invite them not in. Not at all. But you've taken the the steam out the fear out of the situation in some way. Yes. Right. You've said, I know what you are. I really it's kind of inconvenient for you to be popping up right now, but if mm-hmm. we're gonna do this, let's go. You know? Yes. And then that takes the intensity out of that situation. Yeah. There are some therapies that will even go through trying to almost cause a panic attack or mimic the symptoms of a panic attack within the therapist's office. Mm. They'll have people hyperventilate on purpose or 
spin around in circles till they get really dizzy and kind of disoriented and then kind of talk through that experience and demystify that experience. And that tends to translate at times into an actual panic attack yeah. and give you some idea of how to manage during that. For sure. Yeah. And I find too, it's interesting. I, as I really sit sometimes with like, what am I most scared about mm-hmm. when I'm in the middle of a panic attack? Like in the instance of, you know, like I, like trying to be on TV and having that experience, it was less about like not being able, cause I used to always get really short of breath. And so mm-hmm. then I wouldn't really be able to like talk. Mm-hmm. It, it was less about like not being able to talk and more about, oh my gosh, this will be so embarrassing to mm-hmm. have this experience in front of my co-anchor mm-hmm. who like, I'm supposed to be able to do this job just fine. I've been doing it for years. Like mm-hmm. that would be so embarrassing. What are they going to think? Right. I even noticed sitting here talking to you about this. Sometimes when I talk about panic attacks, I can start to feel the symptoms yeah. come back up. Yeah. And I, and I, I was even sitting here thinking, what if I had a panic attack right now? That'd be so embarrassing to do that in front of you. <laughs> like, what would he think? So it, it's this, like, for me at least, yeah. it's, it's interesting to watch, like, where my mind goes with it. It's right. like, yeah, there is that fear that I might die. And there's also, like, this almost what is more powerful for me sometimes is this fear of being, like, messy or, like, vulnerable mm-hmm. in front of other people. 100%. I mean, I talked with a colleague even just before this. Yeah. Despite all my personal experience and years of education and years treating it, I get those symptoms sometimes too. They're much less severe than they yeah. once were. And I know what they are and I know how to kind of manage them. But just the irony of what if I panicked while being the expert on panic attacks? Yeah. How embarrassing would that be? Yeah. I totally get it, right? Yep. There's this, and I, and I think that's part of probably kind of who we are. We care about how mm-hmm. we're perceived by others and maybe... <laughs> too much because it ends yeah. up making things harder. Yeah. Um, but, and I think that's part and parcel too of kind of having a little bit that goes along with a little bit more of an anxious temperament. And yeah. whenever I talk with patients about these kinds of things, it's helpful to um, remember and remind myself sometimes that that type of personality has helped me in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. It's not just been a hindrance or a burden. There's been some times where it's like, man, I wish I could just be a little more chill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, For like sure. if I didn't have to deal with this right now, that'd be great. Yeah. Or even look at somebody who clearly doesn't mind so much what other people think about them and be jealous of like, oh, that would be an easy way to do things. Yeah. But I also think it's driven me to to do different things in my life and be who I am and, you know, those kinds of things. So yeah. you kind of Take the good with the bad, I guess. Do you think it's harder as a man to struggle with this stuff and like talk about mental yes. health related things? Yeah, I, I've i been fortunate to be around people in my life who I don't feel super strongly that I have to prove my manliness around them. There's mm-hmm. been kind of a comfort level, but absolutely when I talk with patients who uh, are around that this is really difficult and you should just buck up and if mm-hmm. you complain you're just putting problems on somebody else and honestly it's sometimes not even so much male or female it's more of a oftentimes especially in the midwest here we get a lot of kind of desire toward stoicism where you need to take care of yourself and pick yourself yeah. up by the bootstraps and you don't need to lay your problems on somebody else it yeah. makes it really hard to ask for help and 
I don't know, again, there's good things about that, but it gets really harmful when it comes to mental health because mm-hmm. I always remind people, if you could have done this yourself, you wouldn't be talking to me right now. So let's just accept the fact that yeah. this is something we all need a little bit of help with. Yeah. So I think so, yeah. Um, I don't know if you experienced some of that too. Yeah. Well, and I think it's... Um, I, I, I just think it's... I'm deeply programmed in in many ways to just bottle everything up and <laughs> kind of <laughs> present this image to the world that, oh, yeah. that I'm pulled together and everything's good and mm-hmm. I still have that automatic reaction within me at all times mm-hmm. and it's in in some ways it's like a gift because it allows me to kind of ride those waves and kind of have my internal experience be one thing and then kind of pull it together and be able to show up in the world. But I think it's Mm -hmm. to my detriment because it gets harder to like let people in. Mm -hmm. And when things are really hard, Mm -hmm. what I've learned is like, I need, I kind of need to be vulnerable in front of people so Mm -hmm. that they can be there for me. And, you know, kind of like letting my guard down and letting people um, be there for me, I think is, is still a huge challenge. It's not instinctual. No. No. It's kind of something I have to Requires constantly a work on. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. I yeah. hear you for sure. Um, and I think too, and I, I think too, one thing to name, um, I, I identify within the LGBTQ community. So as a gay man, mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit easier maybe for gay men to be a little bit more open about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, and I, I always kind of wonder more, like, I, I feel like that's been a journey for me in my life to kind of step into that part of who I am mm-hmm. and kind of embrace almost that, like, I don't know if it's like softer side, more sensitive side of myself. Mm-hmm. Or or drop the pretend, like, hardcore, hyper-masculine yeah. side. Yeah. yeah, like, that's not who I am, really. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's, there's a lot of stuff that's been built up over the years of like trying to become that and feeling like I, or feeling like I have to be that to be a man. And mm-hmm. so that's, that's a whole other conversation. Mm-hmm. But I think often about straight men, like I mm-hmm. think it's harder mm-hmm. in those communities. Even, I think it's even, even harder. Yeah. I think for, for a lot of men, they find a safe space somewhere. Yeah. Um, whether that's just in their relationship um, in their close family or even their close friends. Unfortunately for a lot of people, it's just in their own private life or in their own head. And I, I try to wherever I can. And part of the reason for, you know, wanting to do this show is to share that these things happen. It's not a failure and it's impossible to get through by yourself really difficult to get through by yourself and it's unnecessary to get through by yourself, right? That when we can get to the point where we can admit that we're not perfect, that we struggle with some things Mm -hmm. and need help on some things, that almost is more a show of strength. For sure. More a show of manliness or whatever you want to call it than pretending that it doesn't exist and wishing it away. Um, And So I I work primarily with children and adolescents, and that's one of the biggest things that I try to impart is that we're in this together. Everybody faces challenges at different times. You happen to be facing one right now, and we're here for you. You can ask for help, and guess what? You can be there for the next person down the road. I think that 
tide is shifting a little bit. As I as I talk with adolescents in particular, I think there's much more of an embracing of mental health. Um, but I'm an optimist, so we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else that you want to add about riding the wave of a panic attack? Yeah, there's a, there's a few little tricks you can use. First of all, um, seek help. Yep, for Get sure. Get a therapist. They're so helpful. I mean, it's you will thank yourself later. Mm-hmm. In the moment, uh, focusing on your breathing is really helpful. It's very common within a panic attack. Yep. to be having a lot of very shallow, rapid breaths. So as much as you can slow that down, do the old, you know, three seconds in, five seconds out, through in through your nose, out through your mouth, that sort of thing. The other thing that can be helpful is to try to bring your attention to some type of sensory experience in the moment and called mm-hmm. a grounding technique. So um, if we think about your, your tactile or touch sense, you might notice mm-hmm. how your toes feel inside your shoe in that moment, something that our brain usually tunes out. But when we focus on it, we can say, oh, yeah, they're a little bit tight or actually these are my comfortable pair right now. And yeah. um, you, can, you can do that visually by, you know, looking at um, a piece of wood and evaluating the grains and the texture and the color. And the purpose that serves is to bring your mind out of worry, panic, what could happen to me mode and into just experiencing right where you are right now, right? This is mindfulness. This is meditation. And these things are very helpful in separating yourself from that. The last thing I'll say is it's a lot easier said than done. It takes practice and you can, you will get better at it the more you practice it, but that's where having your coach or your therapist is, is helpful. Absolutely. What ended up being the most helpful for you? Was there, was there kind of, uh, something you started doing or an approach or, or kind of a moment where things maybe started to shift a little bit? Yeah, I mean, so I started uh, taking medicine and talking to therapists at the same time. I think probably medication helped uh, a little bit, Um, but I I felt that the therapy was probably most helpful. And I remember a moment in therapy kind of accepting that I'm human, I'm fallible, I'm doing my best, but... I don't have to be perfect. And even though that wasn't necessarily obviously related to the panic attacks, I think probably it reflected the fact that I, my whole life was pretty stressed at the moment. Mm. And it kind of brought down that stress level for me a little bit enough that they started to kind of fade into the background. And I still remind myself of that at times. I'll notice myself all tense and getting irritable with my family or my friends or, you know, uh, and just, try to remind myself that, you know, this too shall pass. And, um, I'm probably making things harder Mm. rather than easier in that moment. And to just take a breath. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that realization, which seems so simple, um, when I say it now, but was obviously what was certainly not obvious to me at the time was a turning point for me. And maybe it's a little bit of what you just said, but is there, is there anything for you kind of in your day to day when it comes to like nurturing your mental health, Mm -hmm. taking care of you, um, anything that you say to yourself throughout the day, anything that kind of helps you ground 
as a as a human being yeah. and also in this work that you do? Well, part of it is just connecting with other people on a genuine level, sharing a laugh, mm. something like that. I also um, like being outside. So I will, whenever I can, take a walk. Um, extra points if I can get some work done while I'm walking. Yeah. But yeah. honestly... Even better than that is to carve out some time to just breathe and experience the world around me. Um, and I always tend to find that that is refreshing for me. It yeah. helps me to be in a better headspace and tackle things more efficiently after that. So I don't know if it's so much kind of self-talk or self-reminders mm-hmm. as much as it is making a conscious effort to carve out just a little time for myself yeah. during the day. Love that. Yeah. Today being a very beautiful Perfect day to one. get outside. I'm looking at it thinking I should go for a walk right it's now. It's a little brisk, <laughs> but it's sunny and the fall colors are amazing. It's gorgeous. At, at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you so much. Yeah. For, thanks for like sharing your story and, and being open and, and trusting all of us in this podcast community to, to hear it. Um, of course. It, it matters deeply. Mm-hmm. And just for, for all the input here today, um, is there anything that I always like to ask? Is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you really wanted to touch on or talk about when it comes to, to panic attacks? I think we covered a lot of the basics. I think it's worth reiterating that it's super common. You're yeah. not alone. Um, reach out and it's treatable. Yeah. You know, it's not something you need to be settled with for the rest of your life. It can get better. Um, so reach out. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and thank you for doing this. Absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, I'm excited to go listen to the catalog and hear all the other experts discuss things. So I appreciate it. And we each got through this episode without having a panic attack. <sighs> so we can all just take a deep breath and <laughs> celebrate that. <laughs> um, thank you so much. Appreciate it. You're very welcome. A big thank you once again to, to Dr. Puffer for taking the time to sit down and chat and sharing um, not only the advice with all of us through his work as a, as a therapist, but also um, his own personal experience. I know really, really making an impact by, by being open and vulnerable about that part of his life. So uh, really, really enjoyed that chat with, with Dr. Puffer. So my friends, want to thank you so much for being here. Um, I really do feel like a broken record sometimes when I wrap up these episodes, but um, I really mean it when I say be gentle with yourself out there. Um, It's something that I know I'm telling myself daily, moment by moment, taking it all one step at a time, one moment at a time, and um, just just grateful to be a part of this podcast community, and um, I hope you feel supported by by tuning into these episodes. So um, take what serves you from this conversation. Go ahead and leave the rest and we'll chat soon. Also, just a reminder that this podcast is not meant to replace work with a therapist. And so if you feel you need it, I encourage you to reach out to a trained mental health professional. All right, we'll talk soon.